tonight. Acts chapter 5. You know, and I think on Friday night, we had just about as many teens as we did kids for the parents' night out. And uh, I am, I'm thankful for the teens, too. They just pitch right in. You know, I, I learned a long time ago when it comes to teens, if you'll simply ask and give them some direction, they usually take care of it. You usually don't have to push too hard uh, with most kids. They're usually, uh, I think most of the time, they just don't know what to do. So they don't do anything. And I feel like most of the time, if you'll just ask them and talk to them, they just jump right in and they'll help out if they can. So anyway, I do, I appreciate you guys very much. Acts chapter 5, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've looked at the opportunities that Peter was given to witness for Jesus, and through that, he has been persecuted, he and John, um, and that's about to start ramping up. That's about to get worse, Uh, but also their witness is going to get bolder. Um, We're going to see tonight that Peter kind of... uh, he gets a little more blunt with the Jewish leaders, and, um, and we'll see that as we get in, into chapter 5 a little bit further. But let's start in verse number 12. The Bible says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Now jump over to verse 15. In so much, so they had done so many signs and wonders that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There was kind of a superstitious idea in the Middle East during or in the Eastern culture at this time that they did. They believed that your shadow carried power. And so it kind of makes sense that even for these Jewish people, they're thinking with all the stuff that's going on, man, all we need is Peter's shadow to come across whoever's ill or whatever's going on. Um, You remember the lady with the issue of blood? All she did was touch the hem of Jesus's garment. But what healed her? Was it the garment? It was her faith. It was her faith. And so it was the same for these people as well. It was their faith that was healing. Verse 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Every one. That is an amazing statement to me. Here, Peter, John, the apostles, they are doing, they're, they're, they're witnessing for Jesus, they're sharing the good news with people, and they are proclaiming this, but while they are, if you remember when we looked at chapter 4, they asked God to allow them, back in uh, chapter 4, verse 30, um, verse 29 and 30 says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So they had prayed and said, God, will you allow us to do signs and wonders for, for the establishment of your word? So that people will know that the gospel, this new truth that we are proclaiming, is valid. That it has power, that it's real. And so that's what they're doing. And so here in chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, um, we see the power of God on display. God's power is everywhere. 
God is working everywhere. People are coming out of the cities. They're coming to Jerusalem. Uh, the people are coming out of their homes in Jerusalem. It, they're putting their kids, their crippled kids, their demon-possessed family member, or whatever their ailment is. They're putting them on the streets and waiting for the apostles just to walk by. And at the end of verse 16, it says, And they were healed, every one. It, it, the city had to have been blowing up. It had to have been chaotic. I mean, it just everywhere, something was going on all the time. And, and it just had to be unbelievable to see the power of God working. But now I want you to notice the rest of verse 12. We skipped a little parenthetical thought here in verses 12, 13, and 14. And tonight I want you to see, as we look at this, I want you to see there's four people in this passage. And here we see the first three. In verse 12, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So first of all, you have the apostles or the disciples. Notice that they are together in Solomon's porch. That's where the crippled man was healed. That's where Peter preached to the multitude. And that's where they were first arrested. Peter and John don't go find a new spot. They go right back to the same spot. Where the Jewish leaders are going to be close by, where they know what they're saying, where all the people are going to be, they go right back to the same spot, even though they were just arrested there. So here you have the apostles and, or the, the apostles and disciples, verse 13. These people are interesting. And of the rest, durst no man join themselves to them, but the people magnified them. Now here, here you have the people who are not willing to go right alongside Peter and John, but they are magnifying, they are lifting them up. And so here you have a different group of people. And then in verse 14, you have the believers. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. People are getting saved everywhere. Listen, the signs and wonders, the healings are, are, are great. But there was, there was a greater purpose than just these signs and wonders. The greater purpose was the advancement of God's word and the salvation of souls. And that's exactly what was happening. People were getting saved left and right all over the place. Um, and so Peter and John, the, the apostles, they're doing this great work. Then you come to verse 17. Then the high priest rose up. Remember, they're in Solomon's porch. The high priest isn't too far away. So he, he rises up and all they that were with him which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. The next thing I want you to see tonight, not only the power of God on display, but the second thing is the prison experience. I don't know about you, but I have no desire to go to prison. I mean, that is one thing that scares me in life. The thought of that just kind of makes me go, ugh. I mean, I, 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 just, I, mean, I wouldn't want to do that. It does. It scares me. But they get thrown in prison. Why? Well, because of the high priest and the guys that are with him, because of their indignation, according to verse 17. What is this indignation? Well, it's an anger, it's a wrath, but it's also an envy. It's an envy. You see, Peter and John, the apostles, the disciples, they are shaking up the world. Jerusalem, Israel right now, is in upheaval. There's people being saved everywhere. There's people being healed everywhere. God's power is shaking this part of the world upside down. 
And guess what? The leaders don't like it. They like their power. They like their influence. They like their chokehold on the people, and they don't want to lose that. And you know what? The same is true in our lives. When you witness for Jesus, when you have an influence, and you, other people start losing their influence, people don't like that. And most of the time, people get defensive and even offensive because they're losing their influence. So here, the leaders of Israel, they don't like what's going on, and so they fight back. So they go grab Peter and John, and they throw them in the common prison, verse 18 says. So here you have the envy of the Jewish leaders. Not only do you have the envy of the Jewish leaders, but now you have the escape. Notice verse 19. But, listen, when you see that word in your Bible, pause. Because it is a contrasting word. You have one thing going on, and now you're going to have something totally different going on. Peter and John, the apostles, they're thrown in, in prison. But, but what? But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said. So the, the angel of the Lord comes, opens up the prison, and brings them outside. And in verse 20, he says, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Wait a minute, we were just there. We just got arrested there again. And now you want us to go back there. Yes, I do. That's what the angel tells them. Listen, God's but moments in our life are important. Think of Bonnie and her car accident. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt. She got run off the road by a semi. She rolled her car. But God, there's no other explanation. What, an, a miracle, what a miracle that is. And the reality is, is probably all of us, if we sat down and we started talking, we all could look back and say we've had those kind of moments in our life. Where God stepped in, that's the only explanation. There is no other explanation. God did something. And here, these rulers think they're in charge. They think they're in control. They, they want to maintain this power. And God's kind of like, yeah, you really don't have any power. You don't have any control. So God sends his angel, and he goes down there, opens up the bars, and they go walking out. And he says, now go back to the temple and preach about this life. What's this life? It's Jesus. So in verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him. And called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So now the next morning, these apostles, they're over preaching at the temple. But for the high priest, he's like, hey, go get these guys out of the jail cell and bring them because we need to have a talk. So in verse 22, but when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told. Saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. So now these guards go down to the prison, and they get there, and here stand the guards outside the door. Nothing has disrupted them. They don't know anything has changed. They have no clue. They're standing there as if these apostles are still in the jail cell. They don't even know that, that they're gone. 
And here come the guys. They're like, hey, let us in. we got to get these guys and take them to the high priest. Oh, let me get my keys. And they start opening the jail cells, and they rattle the, the, the doors, and they rattle the keys, and they get in there. And I don't know how many cells they had to go through or what they had to do to get in there, but they finally get in there, and they're like, uh-oh. They're not here. It's not explainable. We don't know how this happened. So now they got to go tell the high priest. I'm sure that was not a fun conversation. I'm sure that, I'm sure that was not good. I'm sure they were not looking forward to going back and talking with the rulers and telling them, hey, they're not there. So in verse 23, it says, saying, the prison truly we found shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Notice verse 24. And now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, notice what they say. They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. What? Do you notice how they respond? Do you, do you see the words that they used? They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. What on earth does that mean? What do they mean? They doubted whereunto this would grow? So I was Googling, and from what I understand, this phrase is a Hebrewism. Or, you know, in our culture today, we have Southernisms. You know, like, uh, how's that one go? Uh, they looked at me like a calf looks at a new gate. You know, we use, we use phrases like that, or we say, bless their heart, which has a whole bunch of twisted meanings. I mean, you really never know what you're getting when a Southerner says, bless your heart. You really don't know where you stand. Um, but we have all kinds of phrases like that that we use, and that's kind of what this phrase is. Um, Mrs. Monday has a, a game. Is it the way mama said it? Is that what it is? It's the way mama said it. And we played this one night and, uh, you get to make up your own Southern phrases in this game. And it's actually really funny. Um, so what, what happens is the dealer gives you a card and this one says, she's more helpful than. And you have a handful of cards, and you get to play two cards to finish the phrase. So for this phrase, I, said, I, I finished it this way. She's more helpful than a brand new Easter dress in Armageddon. So that's the gist of the game. So then I was kind of playing with the cards a little bit, and this, this one just happened to fall apart. You can ask my wife. I did not go digging for these. This just came to be. This one is... You're dressed like, you're dressed like Adam and Eve at a candlelight service. So back to verse 24. They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. The idea of this phrase is the idea of planting and something actually growing or the possibility of something happening. You know, you don't just plant seed anywhere, right? You, you actually take care of soil and you put things into that soil and you maintain that soil and, and you hope to produce a decent soil so that you can put a, some seed in that soil and then you're going to get a product. 
But you don't walk around with seed. You don't, when you put grass in your yard, you don't, you're not out there on the concrete with your spreader making sure you get the driveway real good, are you? No, you're not. Because you wouldn't expect that to grow. That would be, that'd be ludicrous. It'd be crazy. Well, that's what they're saying. You're crazy. There's no way they're not in prison. That's not possible. Yeah, it is. Verse 25. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So now all of a sudden, here comes another guy, and he's like, hey, you know those guys you threw in jail yesterday? They're down here at the temple, and they're teaching everybody. What? Verse 26, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. Why? For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Listen, the people knew something was going on. The people knew God was doing something. They knew there was something different about these guys. They, they knew that. The people were listening. The people were paying attention. So they didn't, they didn't like jerk these apostles up and drag them. I, I have a feeling it was more like, hey, how you doing? Hey, let's walk over here and let's gently take you back to where the high priest is. So they take them back. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not, he sounds like a pouty little five-year-old. He sounds like he's a spoiled brat. Straightly, did we, did we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and an intent to bring this man's blood upon us. I like, I, I think he's whiny. But here, he says, didn't we tell you not to do this? Didn't we tell you not to preach in the name of Jesus? Yes, they did in chapter 4. They said, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. You know, you're going to have people to tell you to stop. If you take a stand for Jesus and you share Jesus with people, whether it's at work or at the gym or anywhere you go, you realize you're going to have people who tell you to stop. There will be people at some point who try to shut you up. But don't stop. Don't stop. They didn't. But here he says, didn't we command you not to teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And the last part of this is interesting to me. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And the reality is this. They had already brought the blood of Jesus down on themselves. When they crucified Jesus, if you were to go to Matthew chapter 27 and look at verses 24 and 25, there they cried out. When they cried for Barabbas to be released to them, they cried out and they said, this man's blood be upon us and our children. The blood of Christ was already on them. They were already guilty. And they know that. And it's about to get a whole lot worse. And so here, Peter picks up on this. Peter kind of realizes, hey, there's something going on here. Like, they, they, I'm kind of getting a cue that they are starting to kind of feel a little guilty or there's some conviction. There's something going on here. So you know what Peter does in verses 29 through 32? He just lets them have it. If you go back in the first four chapters, Peter's kind of nice. He's kind of got the kid gloves on. And he responds to them in a more gentle way. And here in verses 29 through 32, he just lets them have it. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are times when you just need to be real blunt with people. There are going to be times, especially when you have people that are antagonistic, people who want to mock, or people uh, 
people who want to be uh, combative or whatever when it comes to truth, there are times where you just have to be blunt. And you just have to let them know how it is. Um, I, I feel like sometimes in, in our culture with our political correctness and everything that we have to like dance around and, oh, I think I'm starting to offend them, so maybe I should back off. No, maybe if you're starting to like hit that nerve, maybe you should like just send it. And there are times for that. And, and we, we've got to be sensitive, sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit and to a person and what's going on and realize those situations. Um, I've had moments like that with my kids where it was kind of like, hey, you need to stop that or, hey, you, know, you need to think about this. And then finally it's like, no, listen, here's, here's how it's going to be. And sometimes when you're witnessing to people and you're sharing, the, sharing truth with people, there comes a point where you just need to let them have it. Notice what Peter says in verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Period. I have a greater responsibility than to listen to you. I have a God who I am accountable to, and I have a greater responsibility to obey him than to obey you. And listen, that is true for you and for me as well. When it comes to serving God, when it comes to sharing the truth and sharing the good news and, and preaching Jesus to people, you have a greater responsibility, and that responsibility is to God, not men. Not men. And so here, Peter pretty much just lets him know, listen, I don't need to obey you. I have to obey God. I'm sure that didn't go over well. But notice what he says in verse 30. He says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and ye hanged on a tree. He gets real pointed. And you know, sometimes with people, you have to get pointed. You know, sometimes we kind of get passive aggressive. Even aggressive people can be passive aggressive, trying to be gentle or trying to be kind or gracious. You know, and we kind of dance around the issue and we're kind of trying to make our point, but not be mean or blunt or, you know, we want them to receive it or whatever. But, you know, sometimes there comes a point where it's, no, you just need to, like, put your hand right in that wound and push. And that's what Peter does here in verse 30. Peter's like, you crucified him, you slew him, you hung him on a tree. And he gets right in their face about it. Verse 31, him hath God exalted with his high right hand to be a prince and a savior for, a, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Verse 32 is pretty awesome. And we... Not you guys. We are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Here, Peter gets real pointed. Listen, we serve God. You do not. We serve God. You do not. You crucified him. You hung him on a tree. You are guilty of his blood. And we have a greater responsibility to obey him and not you. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I think there's definitely room, even in our wonderfully politically correct society, to take a stand for truth and be bold. And be bold. It may cost a friendship. It, it may cost a job. It may cost something. But there are times when we need to be bold. We don't need to be the one that's bashful or the one that backs off because it's getting too sensitive or they're getting upset. 
No, there are times when we need to take a stand and we need to be very pointed when it comes to the truth. And that's exactly what Peter did. So here, Peter, he gives his explanation to them. And then notice what happens in verse 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. You can usually tell when you hit somebody's nerve. Can't you? Now, I usually can tell because uh, people tend to accuse me of pushing buttons. So I usually know where the nerves are. And sometimes I like to put my finger on that nerve. Sometimes I leave it there too long. And I should have removed it sooner. But um, my wife tells me all the time that I'm a button pusher. Pastor tells me I'm a button pusher. Thane tells me I'm a button pusher. My kids tell me I'm a button pusher. So I'm taking it as I'm probably a button pusher. There's a good chance. But uh, the truth is, though, is all of us probably know. Like, you probably know what your, your wife's button is. You'd be like, yeah, if I say that, it's not going to be good. You know. And some of you are like, yeah, that just went through my head. Because we know. We know what people's buttons are. And we can tell when we've hit a nerve. You can tell at work with your coworkers when you hit a nerve. For you kids, when you're, when you're at school, if you'll pay attention, you'll notice when you hit one of your friend's nerves. Or we say, you're getting on my nerve. We tell our kids, you're on my last nerve. But here, obviously, Peter and these apostles have hit a nerve because these, uh, these leaders are cut to the heart, and now they want to kill them. But the reality is this. Peter hasn't hit the nerve. It's not Peter. It's God's word. It's true. You realize Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, for the word of God is quick. It means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest things you can do, and pastor said it tonight, one of the greatest things you can do is just share scripture. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to tell them what it means. You don't have to make something crazy out of it. Listen, you can just simply share a verse with somebody and you're gonna upset people. Because God's word is alive. It is a living organism that is powerful. And when you share it, it cuts through the flesh and it cuts through the bone and it reaches to the very deepest part of a human being and it touches on the most sensitive issues. The word of God is a powerful thing. You don't need to be worried about what, you, what to say. You don't need to be worried about how to explain something to somebody. Don't worry about that. Just stay in your Bible, learn your Bible, and share your Bible. And you will reach people. You will help people. And you will have opportunities to witness to people. Just share God's word. That's all you have to do. But this cut, this cut deep, this cut deep. And then in verse 34, you have, um, you have an expression of sense and reason. Notice in verse 34, then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law and in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So here this guy stands up. He's a leader. He's, he's popular among the people. He, he's well-educated in the law of God. And he stands up and he says, whoa, 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 hey, guys. Hey, let's put these guys off just a little space and, and let's, let's have a conversation real quick. 
Notice what he says in verse 35. He says, and said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves and what ye intend to do as touching these men. He says, wait, slow down. Let's think about what you're thinking about doing. You, you guys need to think about this. Verse 36, for before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a, a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. So he says, hey, you remember back, there was this guy named uh, Thutis. He got this uprising, about 400 guys. But remember, he was killed, and all of his followers dispersed. Like, they don't even exist anymore. Then verse 37, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So he says, remember, there was also this guy named Judas during the taxation. Obviously, they didn't like taxes either. So good old Judas of Galilee says, hey, we're going to rise up against the IRS. So he gets a bunch of guys together, and guess what happens? Judas dies. So guess what happens? All of his followers, they disappear. So here, Gamaliel's like, listen, we had this uprising. It didn't happen. We had this uprising. It fell apart. So listen. Listen, verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. Look at verse 39. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. What wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, when you share the gospel and when you witness and you, you speak with people, you need to remember that you are a part of God's cause. There isn't a soul that can stop it. There isn't a soul that can deter it. It's God's cause, and it will go on. Man has no control. There isn't anything anybody can do. It's God's cause. And here Gamaliel says, listen, if it's a man's idea, guess what? It's going to fall apart. But if it's God's idea, then you're going to be fighting against God. So what happens in verse 40? And to him, they agreed. They said, all right, Gamaliel, you're right. But that still wasn't good enough for them. So notice what happens in verse 40. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. This beating was not a slap on the hand. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 2 through 3, there you'll see that God gave them uh, rules for this kind of punishment. And it was no more than 40, whatever it was. So they couldn't hit him more than 40 times. There are a lot of people who believe that this was actually 39 stripes with a whip. Um, you remember back, was it in the 90s when the guy was arrested in Singapore and got a caning? You remember that? You know, that was a big deal. You know, I'm sure if it was in Russia, we would have probably went to like crazy extremes to get him back and keep him from that. But anyway, um, uh, this, this was not a light thing. If it was a whip and they were, they were whipped 39 times, there was flesh missing. Uh, if it was a flogging or a caning, uh, they were beaten pretty severely with, with, that, with that stick. Um, they limped home. Th this was pretty severe. 
I kind of wonder if through the advice of Gamaliel, if the high priests and these guys weren't thinking, hey, if we beat them severely enough, maybe when they go home, their followers will disperse. Okay, we won't kill them, not like Judas and Thutis, not like those two dudes, but you know what? We'll beat these guys so bad that when they go home, everybody will disperse. It doesn't tell us that, but I don't know. Maybe that was their intent, but they do. They beat Peter and the apostles, and then they tell them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. How would you respond? Would you be mad? Would you go home and get your concealed carry and be ready next time? How would you respond? Look at verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. What an amazing thought. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What an amazing perspective to rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What an amazing perspective. What do you think you're worthy of? What do you think you should be worthy of? What do you think you deserve? They considered themselves worthy. They rejoiced that they were thought worthy enough to suffer shame for Jesus. What an amazing thought. What an amazing thought. And then in verse 42, they went home, stayed home, locked their doors, stayed in the closet, hid out, went underground. No. Verse 42, and daily, where? (laughs) Right where they were. (laughs) Back in the temple, probably in Solomon's porch. They're like, hey, let's go back to Solomon's porch. And in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And daily, they went back to the temple and to every house daily, preaching Jesus They didn't stop. They didn't let let those guys deter them. They didn't let the beating or the whip deter them. They continued in their service for Jesus. Listen, I don't know if we have it that bad. What was that magazine I showed you? Was it Voice of the Martyrs? The Voice of Martyrs? There is a magazine you can subscribe to. It's called The Voice of Martyrs. You realize there are people all over this world today who are being killed, who are being tortured for the name of Jesus. Even today, you're not going to hear about it on the news. CNN isn't going to cover it. NBC isn't going to cover it. But there are Christians all over the world today dying for the name of Jesus. You know, we may not have it that bad here, maybe not yet. But you know what? Whatever your circumstance is, what? whatever your work environment is like, whatever, maybe it's school for some of you kids and different things, listen, be bold. Take a stand for Jesus. Share the truth. And don't stop. Don't let anything deter you. Don't let anything deter you. You fight for a cause that is God's cause. 
and nobody can stop that. Nobody can stand against that. Just keep on pressing forward and just keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the example of Peter and these apostles. Lord, I just pray you'd give all of us grace and boldness. Pray that you'd give us courage to do the right thing. Pray that you'd help us to step out by faith and trust you to give us the words to say and the answers and scripture to share. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us to take a stand in, in, our, in our world, in our circle of influence. Lord, help each of us to take a stand for what's right and for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.